Welcome to Comically Confused, a New 52 podcast. We're covering the entire New 52 one book at a time. I'm your host, Grant. And I'm your host, Nate. And I'm your guest host, Kyle. Welcome to the show, Kyle. We're glad to have you as our first ever guest host on the show. Um, just for full disclosure for the listeners, uh, this is actually our first, uh, our second time covering the first volume of Wonder Woman since our favorite Christmas surprise was finding a corrupted sound file for this episode. So we'll be uh, we'll be having a discussion we've more or less had before, but this also means we all had a chance to see Wonder Woman 84 before this episode. So thankfully, we do have a little bit to add to the conversation and we're not just trying to recreate our previous moment. <laughs> but that being said, this will be the listeners first time uh, hearing Kyle. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, why we chose you for our Wonder Woman episode. Um, well, uh, like I said, my name is Kyle, and um, just for the listeners to know, my pronouns are they, them, I'm non-binary, um, and I met Grant at a comic book convention earlier this year, which honestly feels like forever ago. Yeah, when they still had those and no one was scared, I can't believe that was still within 2020. I know, I was thinking about that the other day, and I was like, oh my god, that mm. wasn't that actually long ago, but it feels <laughs> like it was. So weird. Um, but uh, I was asked to join because um, I'm a big Wonder Woman fan. I I've read a lot of her Wikipedia pages, um, and I <laughs> um, I've read some of her comics, and I'm really into the history of the character. And um, I've also taken a class at my school at my college called Wonder Woman Unleashed. Um, and we read a really interesting book called The Secret History of Wonder Woman by Jill Lepore, which I highly recommend for anyone interested in the history of the character, and especially William Moulton Marston, the creator of the character. Um, so I can toot my own horn and say I've had some scholarly experience <laughs> with the character. <laughs> yeah, as far as the friends of the show go, we've always kind of seen you as the Wonder Woman ex expert since <laughs> I think both Nate and I have embarrassingly little exposure to the character in comics. So I'm uh, glad to know we have someone that actually has co like college experience studying the character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, thank you once again for joining us. Uh, so, all right, but uh, leading to the episode itself here, uh, what did you guys think of Wonder Woman Volume 1? Uh, both first time reading it and revisiting it this time around. Um, I really liked the book. I read the whole series about a year or two ago, um, and I got really into it. And I don't know, I think it's a really good introduction to the character in the New 52, if you haven't read her already in Justice League or anything. Yeah, I agree. It's like a nice introduction to the character Wonder Woman. Yeah, I mean, I think I've read a single Wonder Woman comic before this, but uh, this really got me on board real quickly. Uh, it showed me a lot of the interesting things that can be done with the character, uh, even in the first volume, and it didn't feel really anything like the Wonder Woman movies I've seen or the Wonder Woman-centric episodes of Justice League. This was very much its own story, not just the same basic volume one or origin story done once again like we see elsewhere yeah i agree but uh so kyle you've kind of already given us a brief history of your experience with wonder woman what with the college courses and the reading on wikipedia but nate how about you uh what's your exposure to wonder woman before reading this uh well as a kid i always knew wonder woman but i never really knew what who wonder woman was it's like wonder woman's like that big in like pop culture that the name wonder woman always like it brought up 
even if you don't even haven't even consumed any media of the character. Um, but my first experience with the character itself was in uh, the Justice League cartoon. Uh, and I, she was always an important factor in DC to me. And she always like, she's like the third pillar of DC right next to Batman and Superman. But I never spent too much time with the character till uh, I read in like the new 52 run like two or three years ago. Uh, yeah, and since we're all around the same age on this podcast, was the Justice League cartoon everyone's first exposure to Wonder Woman here? I'd say probably. I mean, I heard like the 80s show, I think I might seen like a rerun or something, but I didn't really know Wonder Woman. Yeah, I don't think I had been exposed to the old Linda Carter show before Mm-mm. the Justice League cartoon came out. But I-, I do remember it was one of those things that like for most parents, when they'd see us watching Justice League or see the ads, you'd be like, Oh, it's Superman, Batman, and a bunch of guys I never heard of. But Wonder Woman was always one like, oh yeah, Wonder Woman, I remember her. Like my parents could tell me who that one was. They they couldn't tell me anything about the Flash or the Martian Manhunter. Yeah. yeah. It's oh, like the Justice League show is just basically our generation of like the super friends exposing us to these characters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, only you know, good this time. <laughs> but yeah, and so I think we all kind of have a very similar origin with Wonder Woman then. Uh, I'm very much in the same boat that I just picked up on a couple of her reruns after that, but the New 52 was my first time really diving into the character, reading one of her runs. But uh, looking at the creative team here, uh, we have Brian Azzarello writing this, and uh, for artists, we have Cliff Chang on issues one through four and Tony Atkins on issues five through six. Uh, Do you have any of you have any exposure to this creative team at all? I haven't. Sorry. No, you go ahead. Uh, I don't have any experience uh, with Brian Azzarello, I don't think, or maybe Tony Atkins, but I had seen some of, um, I think, Cliff Chang's art and other things before. I think um, possibly in an issue of Zatanna that I read a while ago, Mm -hmm. but that's about it. Yeah. uh, I'd say the most noteworthy name on this book is going to be Brian Azzarello. Um, he's done, he's always been involved in some pretty big works over the years. Uh, he did a Joker miniseries uh, a few years ago that I think was one of the main inspirations for like the Joaquin Phoenix Joker. Uh, most famously recently, he, uh, he was on the book Batman Damned, which is famous for being the book that shows Batman's dick very clearly. Uh, and it's <laughs> oh. one of the most valuable comics of the last few years because of the reprints and censorship on it. Yeah, I forgot he wrote that. <laughs> but yeah, he, he has some pretty big works uh, between like Joker, Luther, uh, 100 Bullets is a indie book he does that's liked pretty well. So he's a prefer- pretty big name in comics. Uh, as far as the art team, Cliff Chang, uh, this is like one of the biggest things he did was New 52 Wonder Woman. But uh, he's also involved on Paper Girls, which is one of Brian K. Vaughn's big books. And that's something I really cannot recommend enough. If you liked Saga or Runaways, or if you're a fan of the show Stranger Things, this is absolutely a comic for you. It's just Stranger Things, but an all-girl cast with a little bit of time travel, and it's awesome. Uh, That's not even selling it to you. (laughs) Yeah, I need to check it out. Yeah. And yeah, and final artist here with Tony Atkins. uh, Not a... major like prolific artist by any means but he's done quite a bit of dc work uh he's worked on fables a bit so that's fairly noteworthy uh and he also worked on red hood and some other books we'll be covering later in the series but 
moving on then to uh, the first issue of the book. Uh, how do you guys feel about this as far as an intro to a Wonder Woman storyline or as a reader's first look at a Wonder Woman book? It really holds no punches. <laughs> Sorry, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, it has a nice it has a nice pace to it. Nice flow and it's like really just pulls you into this plot line and story. A good first issue should. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, going into this, I could tell this wasn't a book that was worried about, like, introducing people to Wonder Woman as a concept. Like, I don't think they thought anyone was going to go into a comic book store having never heard of Wonder Woman and picking up this book off the shelf. Like, they expect you to know who Wonder Woman is and some semblance of her origin. Uh, So, yeah, I thought didn't need to introduce me to the book, but as far as getting me interested in a storyline, this absolutely succeeded at that. I would definitely be buying the next few issues if I had picked this up back in 2011. Yeah, same here. Uh, It really just jumps straight in with the Greek gods and everything, and it's for anyone that likes Greek mythology, it's really really fun, and I love it. Yeah, Nate, any thoughts from you? Uh, Yeah, it's just mostly just a good jump into the series. Uh, it doesn't really fall in the trappings of like most bad first issues where it's just a whole bunch of exposition and you might just get like a slight action scene at the start and that's it. It's really nice pace throughout and mm-hmm. good setup for the rest of the volume. So let's go ahead and dive into the events of the book and then move on to our key points. Uh, but yeah, this volume follows uh, our characters um, starting with Zola here. So a seemingly ordinary woman by the name of Zola finds herself being attacked by centaur assassins. Uh, The Greek god Hermes then tasks Wonder Woman with her protection. The three soon discover that Zola is pregnant with a bastard son of Zeus, who himself has gone missing, putting her in the crosshairs of his vengeful wife Hera. When her heroes try to seek shelter on Diana's home of Themyscira, they find that not even an army of Amazons can protect them from the wrath of the gods. When it's revealed that Wonder Woman herself is also a secret bastard of Zeus, Hera seeks vengeance by turning Diana's mother, Hippolyta, to stone and transforming the rest of the Amazons into snakes. With the help of yet another one of Zeus's children, a man by the name of Lennox, Wonder Woman is able to trick Zeus's siblings Poseidon and Hades into thinking they can share their brother's missing... Uh, their... Get that again? With the help of yet another one of Zeus's children, a man by the name of Lennox, Wonder Woman is able to trick Zeus's siblings Poseidon and Hades into thinking they can share their missing brother's kingdom, as well as his queen, in exchange for Zola's safety. In the process, Wonder Woman is able to send Hera back to Olympus and destroy her means of spying on Zola. However, the victory is short-lived as Hades then takes Zola hostage in the underworld and refuses to return her unless Diana can fulfill her side of the bargain. A nice summary, Grant. Yeah, nice summary. <laughs> yeah. yeah, now what I really liked about this particular plot line was uh, how much of the world we see while it's telling us these basic events, like... Uh, the plot summary doesn't quite do justice how much world building we get in these first six issues. Like it really shows us the way they're going to depict gods in this world, how powerful said gods are, and just gives us an overall good idea of what the tone is going to be in this book going forward. Yeah. They do a lot of traveling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We, I say that's another thing is, yeah, we get to see a lot of the most important locations uh, for the rest of the book. Like we see Zola's little home in the middle of nowhere. We see Themyscira, uh, Mount Olympus, uh, Diana's home in London, which I'm not sure if that lines up with the Justice League, but I'm willing to look past it. Uh, yeah, so it really gives us an idea of like where and how this story is going to take place. 
Yeah, it's it's really good world building and just in these few issues. Mm -hmm. Now, one of our favorite things when we were first reading this series was that we all picked it up right around the same time uh, the game Hades was coming out of early access. And uh, I think we all read this around the same time we played that game. And there's a lot of interesting similarities between the two or just uh, similar takes with two different modernizations of Greek mythology. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I got very obsessed with the game, have almost 200 hours in it uh, since the <laughs> beginning of November. Um, <laughs> uh, I think they're both, like, even though they are different in the way they, they portray the gods and everything, they're both still so interesting. And I like the way they both take um, and make interesting appearances of the gods because the designs, especially in this Wonder Woman series, are really interesting for the gods. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's I, really nice creative takes on these gods. That really different than most adaptations of these characters. Yeah, like the first time I ever saw a modern retelling of the gods like this or putting them in a modern setting was probably Percy Jackson. And while I loved those books growing up, uh, they didn't really do too many interesting things. It was mostly just the gods, but in the modern day. Whereas both this and Hades like found creative ways to make their own versions of each one of the gods. And what I really love is that there's not that much in similarity between these two depictions. Like They both seem like good, interesting retellings of each god in both pieces of fiction. I wouldn't say their depictions are anything alike. Yeah, but it does some. I, I appreciate these type of adaptations, these uh, these type of characters, because we've seen so many different adaptations of these characters throughout the years. You need to just put your own spin on it, make her memorable. Mm. Then, like uh, all the other adaptations, same character. Yeah, I'd say about where the similarities end. Like both give us a pretty cute version of Cerberus that I totally get behind. Uh, and both <laughs> at least have one of the lesser gods being kind of like the party one like uh, Dionysus and Hades and strife in this. Uh, but other than that, yeah, their takes on each God are way different in the game, the comic. Yeah. Don't worry. Dionysus shows up later in the series. Oh, good. Good. Uh, uh, is he any, is he anything of the chat? He is in Hades or uh, is mm. it quite different? No. Um, I won't say anything other than uh, it's, it's quite, his outfit is quite interesting. But yeah, I mean, when I was first taking this in, I was playing Hades. Uh, the show Blood of Zeus just came out in Netflix. I was following that a little. So I was about a Percy Jackson novel away from Greek <laughs> mythology overload. Yeah, especially it's like strange coming from from me because like I'm not really that familiar with Greek mythology, but like all this Greek media, I just consumed in this like past one and a half just makes me like way more knowledgeable. I was like two months ago. Mm -hmm. Now, as yeah, uh, sorry, yeah, go ahead, Kyle. Well, I just I love Greek mythology and stuff, but I surprisingly have never read Percy Jackson. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if you like young adult fiction, I think that's very much a that's very much a book worth checking out. Uh, it's, it is a little derivative of other works. I mean, it's basically just Harry Potter with Greek gods. Like he even has his own Hermione and Ron and everything. But I, little kid me preferred it to Harry Potter, mostly because the books were <laughs> a readable size. But yeah, yeah. And hey, the author isn't fiction. transphobic, so yeah, <laughs> that's a plus. 
Yeah, that author does a lot of work, actually, in making a very representative cast. So, yeah, nothing else I can get behind his politics. But moving on to the book itself, though, uh, we've talked about the depictions of Greek gods, but uh, how do you feel about this particular depiction of Wonder Woman? Uh, well, this depiction of Wonder Woman is uh, really on the side of the Greek mythology of the character than uh, f- throughout this uh, volume or most of the series. Uh, and she's really, they really emphasize like she's a warrior in this adaptation of character. Because it's usually uh, either she's depicted as like a warrior, like really heavy, or she's depicted as a diplomat. And you really get to see the warrior side in this comic. Yeah, it definitely feels like more of a warrior book than a superhero book. Like this seems closer to like a modern Xena warrior princess than it does to like Supergirl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I like it that she just. I, any t- honestly, any time that Wonder Woman is protecting women or children, I love it. And that's what she's doing in this book. Mm-hmm. She's protecting a woman and an unborn child. Um, and I think any Wonder Woman story is good if it leans into that kind of. Um, but also, yeah, the warrior side is really fun to watch, too. It's got a lot of good action in this first volume, um, especially when she's goes to see the Amazons again and they kind of like spar with each other. It's interesting. Yeah. When I'm picking up a book from any other superhero that's like as big or more famous than Wonder Woman, I generally know what I'm in for when I'm going into it. Like about any Spider-Man or Batman book, even the good ones, I kind of know how the story is going to play out or what kind of story it's going to be. But with Wonder Woman, I don't know if it's just lack of exposure or more creativity with the character that, like, I I did not expect this to be a Terminator-style story where she's kind of escorting a pregnant woman and her soon-to-be-important child across the world, keeping him safe. Uh, And, yeah, I I really dig that kind of story. Terminator 2 is my second favorite movie. So just knowing that, like, that's the kind of story you can tell with Wonder Woman, uh, I really enjoyed. And it made me wonder if this is at all a common trope among her stories. I feel like Wonder Woman's more a, like a very versatile character, more than like like Batman for Spider-Man, for instance, where they're mostly in their own little world. Like Goth- like Batman usually like fighting supervillains in Gotham or, you know, P- Spider-Man best stories are in New York City. But Wonder Woman can do so many different elements with the character because just due to her crazy origin stories and backstories and comics where sometimes she's like a super spy or she's fighting Greek gods or she just fight me doing normal superhero stuff. You can do a lot with the character. She can do it all. <laughs> yeah, and I think that she's tied to Greek mythology so deeply really helps these stories out because that's a lot of world building you don't need to do, or it takes a big weight off your shoulders since you just know, like, okay, gods and magic are real. We can expect these people are in her life yeah. to some extent. And I think that's part of the reason we don't have like a good rogues gallery for Wonder Woman. Like if we look at her famous villains, like Cheetah, for instance, you don't get the big Cheetah fans. Cause it's like, well, is she stronger than Wonder Woman? Eh, no. Is she a better warrior? Eh, not really. Like, no. None of her other villains seem like a threat, but the gods, like, <laughs> okay, that's a different story. You can tell a lot of interesting stories with the gods. Yeah. I uh, also want to bring up that I really appreciate this version of Wonder Woman, uh, especially after reading, like, the Just League Wonder Woman that me and Grant said it's not the best depiction of character. It's mostly just she just enjoy fighting. 
like she's like Goku or something. And and at least in this depiction, she she's a warrior. She knows when to fight, but she's not like craving it like we see in like Justice League. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's that's not her first solution to her problems mm-hmm. here. Like she's not just trying to fight the gods. Uh, and she's trying to kind of outthink him and outmaneuver him. Uh, so yeah, I, I definitely think it's a much more interesting and likable character than the version we get in Justice League. Yeah, I haven't, I still haven't read the Justice League series yet, but um, I get what you're saying. And yeah, I do love a peace-loving Wonder Woman better than a very more like aggressive, like just like violence is always the answer because I don't think that's really the core of the character, at least when she was first created, that was not her. That was not William Moulton Marston's like goal. He specifically wanted to make a female character that was more inclined towards peace instead of violence. Yeah. And what I like about the versatility of the character we've talked about in this book is that uh, for this particular storytelling, I feel like the book is tailored to Wonder Woman. Like, I don't feel like any other superhero would have worked as well for this story. Whereas a lot of other superhero books, you kind of could interchange the hero. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, one thing I felt about Wonder Woman 84 was that you could easily swap out a lot of other characters in that story. Whereas this, I don't think this works if batman or aquaman or even like shazam was the main mm-hmm. character like, no this just works a lot more with the character yeah i agree but i'd say last point that i liked about this depiction of wonder woman is uh it's the first time i've seen them use her multiple changing origin stories to the effect of the book like we find out one version of the story is just what everyone's been told for diana's safety and that another is the actual cause here that like, no, she's not made from clay. She's just Zeus's kid. They just didn't want anyone to know that. Uh, and I like that. Cause I know that's something that's always been up in the air is like, what exact origin story is this universe using? Yeah. It's a nice touch that we at least get the, cause unlike other changed origins that happened in 52, we at least get like a little nod to like the old origins of the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like yeah. the Amazons calling her clay and <laughs> stuff when she returns. Cause you know, that's what everyone's been told. She was made from clay. Yeah. And, and I mean, speaking of the Amazons themselves in this, uh, how, how do you guys like this version of Paradise Island and the other Amazons? Uh, the Amazons have picked it way better here than like most Wonder Woman comics I read, uh, especially doing my research for like the 90s run where like the Amazons are just cheesecakey supermodels. Uh, <laughs> these Wonder Woman characters actually look like uh, warriors. Yeah, yeah, I like how they don't seem to be like over sexualized and they seem to be like realistically built and ripped. Like, yeah, they look like actual athletes. Yeah, like you can tell Cliff Chang respects women. <laughs> yeah, and one thing I like too is like they show how competent and good of warriors these Amazons are, but they also do a good job showing how useless even an army of elite warrior women is when it comes to facing off against the gods of this world. Mm-hmm. Like Strife, who's not even like that powerful of a god in comparison with the others, just shows up and like, yeah, the the army is completely useless against her power set. Or Hera comes by and can just turn the entire island into snakes. So yeah, this is a type of fight that Wonder Woman can't just like use her weapons to get out of. Mm-hmm. She just can't, like, Bruce Force her way out. 
know, she's got to think. Yeah, and we'll kind of get into it a little bit later in the series, but since we've read the next volume at this point, uh, I like that this series also is not afraid to make the Amazons look bad in other ways. Like mm-hmm. we've always kind of seen them as like this idyllic, wonderful, like, Oh, if women could rule the world, maybe it'd be something like this. Uh, now we find out in the series, the Amazons are pretty messed up. Like they'll, if you're a little boy, they'll cast you out into the ocean. Like they, <laughs> they don't give a damn, but moving on to our other characters in this book, uh, I wanted to know what you guys thought about the villains they use here between both uh, strife and Hera throughout this volume. I love Strife. Uh, they work really well in this. Yeah, Go ahead, Kyle. Oh, I I just love Strife in this series. I think um, she just shows up and is always causing problems. And I know normally that's not a great thing, but I think it's funny the way she does it. And she's just looks like a messy party girl who has recently shaved her head. And I love it. <laughs> yeah, I love I love her design here. Yeah, her design's great, and like the torn up dress, short hair. Uh, I, I also just love what she adds to every scene. Like, she just kind of nails that party girl aesthetic super well, and in almost a more respectful way than I'd seen other things do it. Like, most media around, you know, 2010 to the late 20 teens, this character would just be a cheap parody of Kim Kardashian or any mm-hmm. of the like e celebrities. Uh, whereas this, like, no, she's a conf- competent, like, kind of lesser Cersei Lannister-style character. Like, pretty clever, gets what she wants, and, like, just doesn't really seem to be any on anybody's side but her own. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I love Strife. Uh, Hera in this, I-, I will say, I think she's one of the least creative of any of their god designs. But yeah. I- I'm not exactly mad about that. Uh, like, kind of the vengeful petty bitch is the role Hera almost always fills in these movies I find uh, or in these kind of modern Greek mythology stories well I mean that's kind of what happened (laughs) but as far far as powers go like yeah they do a great job making her seem like an actual threat and you Mm kind of understand why she's as bitter as she is even though like she's not quite justified in going after innocent women and children yeah, um, she should go after her husband, the one that's mm-hmm. causing the problems. Uh, Nate, any other thoughts from you on this? Uh, yeah, I feel like the character really get her, her comeuppance in like the next volume. Mm-hmm. But it's a nice setup here. Yeah, I, I will say this third reading of this volume was when I finally understood how they solved the issue at the end. Like in issue six, uh, we just kind of cut right to. Uh, like her getting teleported somewhere else and there's a black pit in front of her. And it wasn't until rereading the earlier books and I see her use kind of her seeing pool that I was like, oh, they that's what they did. They like somehow made her seeing pool go all black and teleported her back to Olympus. Uh, first reading it, that wasn't clear. I thought they sent her to like Tartarus or some other plane of existence or something. Yeah. But that confusion and storytelling there, I think, came a little bit from the artwork. Uh, we didn't talk yeah. about this much up front with our artists, but um, Cliff Chang does an amazing job on the first four issues of this book. Like, he really adapts this kind of simplistic, ancient Greek art style to his storytelling that works in the modern comic enough, but also kind of pays homage to like the type of art you would see on the edge of vases and stuff. Uh, so very stylistic and cinematic in his artwork. But then Tony Atkins comes in with issues five and six, and he uses pretty similar character designs, but everything is just a little bit more cartoony. And 
out there so it just doesn't quite feel as well and i can tell the sequential storytelling with his art style isn't quite as strong yeah it's it's a little jarring when you just go to that those issues because it's it's almost similar enough but you can still like see like the changes in the quality dips a little bit Mm -hmm. yeah and there are things i think he probably did add to the book or like that i'm glad they used his cartoony style like it's in his issues we see poseidon for the first time who's maybe the best god design in this book like it's just every sea creature as one thing like he's like a blue whale with a crown and octopus tentacles and like catfish mustache kind of thing (laughs) there's a starfish in there like yeah they made a very successful amalgamation of just every sea creature you can think of what i was gonna say like that design makes me wonder if like in this version um did the gods look the way they do now um back in the day or did they like change their appearance because if they did look that way like there's no way poseidon could have claimed to be like god of thunder while looking like a fish (laughs) (laughs) no that's a good point yeah did they change later or not because like how did he think he was gonna be anything else (laughs) they couldn't really until they defeated the titans they didn't really have roles Mm -hmm. and then they kind of chose them i think afterwards but like if he just looked like a fish he was kind of deterred He just kind of was destined to be god of the ocean, or god of the sea. I mean, it makes me feel a little worse for uh, Hades, who I also love Tony uh, Atkins' design of, like, just the little candle man. Uh, Like, what was... What did, what, what did he think he was going to be God of? Because, like, Underworld is not the first thing I see when I see Candlehead, but, like, he's just this little armored dude. Like, I I don't know what you would put on him. Like, uh, God of Fire, maybe? I would never know. I just love these designs so much. They're so interesting compared to like the normal designs we usually get for these characters. Like using mm-hmm. Poseidon just like a handsome seaman and this is just a fish. It's amazing. <laughs> just older Aquaman or knockoff King Triton from Little Mermaid. Yep, pretty much. Uh but yeah, what I like is that pretty much every single one of these gods they find something to make them distinct and interesting like uh hermes they make kind of into a bird person where it's like they kind of do that motif and so just winged feet uh yeah or like apollo being completely black like pitch black uh yeah just cool little designs on everyone they made sure to give every single god some kind of unique factor mm-hmm. and even yeah. with like hera she has the um, cape of a peacock, which I think is mm. an animal she's usually associated with in mythology because she's like the goddess of marriage and fertility, I think. Mm. And, you know, a peacock's plumage is associated with their fertility usually. Yeah, and like a pretty badass cloak at that too. Like, it's, yeah. I'm surprised at how interesting and threatening she looks while wearing a peacock cloak. <laughs> Now, as far as the other characters in this book go, uh, we have a main supporting cast here of Lennox and Zola, uh, with a few others that pop up, yeah, Hermes, etc. But how did you feel about the supporting cast of the book? The supporting cast was really nice in, uh, in this book. I really enjoyed each character. Yeah, me too. They all flowed together really nicely. 
um, when they're introduced, they kind of just are able to enter in nicely and it just works together or they all work together. Yeah, especially since every one of these characters is functionally new to the reader, aside from Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Like, Zola's brand new, this depiction of Hermes, Lennox, I think, is also brand new. Uh, I really like how they depict Zola in particular, like, as a proud, sexually active person without really like, ever slut-shaming her or anything like mm-hmm. that. Like, they make her a strong character despite the fact she isn't seen to be much of a fighter, really. She's just kind of on her own in a very independent in the truest way kind of person. Mm-hmm. I, I like that she always... Was... I like the shotgun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the characters I was a little more divided about in this was Lennox, though, since I, I do like Lennox as a character, just kind of this rough, kind of Irish dude. But when I first saw him, I thought it was just Constantine. Like, he's smoking, <laughs> he's got an accent, and an overcoat, and he's kind of rude. I'm like, oh, okay, Constantine's gonna be here. Makes sense. He does magic stuff, and nope, nope, new character. He's like some kind of immortal dude that we find out later is also kind of made of rock, but <laughs> isn't clear here. Uh, but yeah, interesting yeah, character, a- just bad design. He's way nicer than Constantine as well. Yeah, I mean, the first thing we see Lennox do, though, is smoke around a pregnant woman. And, like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's Constantine's main thing, is he smokes. Well, I don't think he knew that she was pregnant until Diana took it from him, or took the cigarette from him, and she was like, she's pregnant. Yeah, I guess, I, I don't think Constantine would have stopped. So, yeah, he he definitely yeah. Constantine would have just, just sparked another cigarette. Yeah, I'll light up exactly. two, whatever, I'm smoking for two. <laughs> But oh my uh, God. Uh, honestly, I'm kind of bummed we don't get to see more of his backstory because we see that kind of like the Highlander, he found out he was immortal in World War II and has just kind of been surviving on the outskirts of society. But like, I-, I would definitely read The Adventures of Lennox as a book. So I-, I hope we get to see more of him throughout. Now, the one weird thing I thought about the supporting cast of this is that there's no mention of Steve Trevor at all in this book. Now, he was a pretty central figure in Justice League, and they did a lot with him there. Uh, but I, I don't know like how common that is, Like if he's in pretty much every Wonder Woman story, or if it's not all that weird for him to be absent in a book like this. I'm, uh, not, I don't, I'm not sure if it's different. I mean, I guess I haven't read enough like different versions of Wonder Woman to know if it's different for him to not be there. I mean, I think he is very essential for her origin story. Um, cause he's the reason she leaves Themyscira, but afterwards he kind of just, I don't know. He's not like the iconic. I mean, I guess he is kind of as iconic as Lois Lane, but he's not his own as much of his own character as she is. And Nate, what were you going to uh, say? See, Trevor seemed like he works best and not this type of story. It seems like Steve Trevor would be better in a story like a uh, similar to like the first one or a movie, where it's more uh, government focus or just normal superhero focus. Because I don't really see a, a reason to have Steve Trevor in this book, and I don't know what he would do around these other supporting characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess he works best when he's kind of Wonder Woman's guide to the human world. Uh, since this version of Wonder Woman, they really kind of abandoned the fish out of water story we see so often. Like, 
uh, New 52 Justice League. She very much feels new and is discovering society. First Wonder Woman movie, she's kind of like that as well. Whereas here, it seems like she's well-adjusted and knows British society pretty well. That That's never an mm-hmm. obstacle for her in this book. Also, like, I don't want to see, like, this version of C. Trevor in this book because he's pretty, he's pretty sad. <laughs> yeah, he's a tragic character. Like, if you haven't listened to our episodes of Justice League, like, they really put him through the ringer. You don't want to be Steve Trevor. Oh, man. So he's the guy a Wonder Woman broke up with. And that, now TMC is following him. Yeah, the world knows he's the guy that Wonder Woman broke up with. That's what he's oh, famous no. for. Yeah. That would be uh, awful. He's getting the Pete Davidson treatment of the superhero community. It's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing I will say... Uh, with kind of along those lines is uh, I, I really enjoyed the sense of humor this book had throughout like by no means is it a comedy book or trying to stay consistently funny but when it wants to be funny it knows how to pull the right strings at least for me like mm-hmm. just with the wordplay like I think at one point Hera refers to Paradise Island as a cockless coop and like <laughs> yeah didn't expect that but made me giggle reading that well, I mean she's not wrong yeah accurate description the first time they show up like all the amazons are talking in the shadows like oh hey there's a man here i guess we have to castrate him we can't handle that (laughs) or just uh like there's a god almighty joke that made me laugh way too much like way more than appropriate like we see hades poseidon and hermes all in the same area and someone's like god almighty and they all looked him like yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. i loved but not to trash on Tony Atkins, but his style a little bit in the last couple of issues kind of brings it down a little bit for me. But um, otherwise, I think it's a great first volume and an introduction to the character for New 52. Yeah, uh, I, I can see that this is repeat readings are kind of affecting the rose colored glasses because I think you gave this a solid 10 the yeah. first time we recorded this. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, just because we do kind of put him down in this book, uh, I will say now, as spoilers for volume two, Tony Atkins' art does get better or is put to better use in later books. So, like, it feels a little out of place being balanced here, but I will give him credit that he definitely improves as the series goes from mm-hmm. what I've seen in volume two. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Nate, what about you? Yeah, I gave it a nine as well. It's a really solid comic book. Uh, I have little complaints other than the art chain, so I have to give it a nine out of ten. If that art change wasn't there, I'd probably be able to 10 out of 10, but it was really jarring reading these volumes and just having that just art change out of nowhere making the quality dip. Yeah, this one falls at a 9 for me as well just because some of those flaws are hard enough that I don't feel like I can give this a perfect score. Uh, not even just from the art change or like not liking the design or style as much, but I shouldn't need to read a book three times to understand mm-hmm. what's a pretty big flaw. Uh, I feel like this is when that A plus student of yours turns in an A minus work. Like, yeah, this does really good, very high score. I would definitely have someone uh, start on this book if they're wanting to read Wonder Woman. I don't know if any of the other volumes work well, but I can say from experience, this is a great introduction. So almost perfect, but it's just got a few flaws holding it back. Yeah, I agree. 
Yeah. Now, normally we do our uh, question of the week here, but we're going to do something a little different this time. Uh, our silver lining to our first file getting corrupted is we've all now seen Wonder Woman 84. So instead of a question of the week, we're going to be recording a mini bonus episode where we just go into our thoughts on that movie that we'll release alongside this episode. So that brings this episode to a close. We'd like to thank you once again for giving our podcast a chance and want to give a special shout out to Lady Grayson for designing our new logo. You can find her as at Lady G underscore Nightwing on Twitter. Uh, I also want to thank our co-host Kyle here for joining us. We're so happy to have you and appreciate all your input. Yeah, thank you for having me here. It was really fun. Anytime. Yeah, we'll be happy to have you on. Well, we've already recorded episode two, but we'll (laughs) definitely be hearing more from you in the future. But uh, for those at home, if you have a question of the week you'd like to hear featured on the show, you can send it to us on Facebook or Twitter. We're at Comically Confused on Facebook and at New 52 Podcast on Twitter. Uh, finally, if you can leave us a review on your podcatcher of choice, you'd really be helping us out. That really helps us bump, get bumped up in the algorithms. So we hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll join us again next week where we'll be covering Wonder Woman Volume 2. Until then, we'll still be here, Comically Confused.